welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have today's guest, Danielle Delaval. Did I say that right? Della Valley. It's Della a weird Valley. last name. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why for the longest time I thought your name was Daniela. I think because of the Danielle Della. And so anyways, I'm glad I finally got it right. It's so, a really weird name phonetically. All the L's, all the D's. It no, makes no sense. <laughs> I love it. I think it looks so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. But anyways, there's so many directions that we could take this episode. So I'm really excited to have you on. If you don't know Danielle, she is an FNTP the founder and CEO of Your Wellness Academy, which we're going to get all into today because I'm very intrigued by this. You are the author of Happy Weight, and you're also an instructor for the Nutritional Therapy Association. You do so many different things. And that's why when I was creating the questions for this episode, I was kind of like, oh my God, I could go like a million different directions because you do so many things. So let's kind of take a step back. And can you just tell us a little bit, because you are an FNTP, can you tell us a little bit about how you found nutrition. Is that sort of where your whole business started? Absolutely. Yeah. So I moved to the Pacific Northwest. It'll be my 10th year this year. And I'd worked in the food industry since I was 15. I'm 35 this year. So I've been affiliated with the food industry for 20 years now, which is kind of weird to say when you're only in your mid thirties and you've already been attached to something for so long. But I was a very foodie in the sense of like, I was a professional cheesemonger. I was a buyer. So like, I know the ins and the outs of how to grow food, the science of food, all of the different things. But what I didn't understand is that I just felt awful all of the time. I was that person that was always sick after I ate, you know, yada, yada, yada. We all have our really intense and personal kind of like healing stories. And I had a family friend that recommended the NTA program for me because at that point I wasn't really going anywhere. You know, when you're a cheesemonger, your life caps out at $17 an hour and there's really not much more you can do other than that. And you just really have to love it for the rest of your life. And I'd gotten to a point where I just kind of wanted more. So I found the NTA, I went through the program and little did I know that it was going to change the trajectory of my existence, not only with my own personal healing journey, but then of course, just almost like I don't like to use the word addiction, but like the work kind of fervor that I had after that because I like catapulted into working in a medical ketogenic clinic and my career kind of skyrocketed at that point because then I helped to rewrite their national menu and then I was the principal nutritionist for the whole region and then I broke out into private practice and started working with chronic illness And, you know, kind of like redefining the narrative in terms of how people sell their bodies, because of course, the weight loss industry is super polarizing and toxic. So I kind of changed that and was definitely ahead of my time in terms of talking about body positivity, because then I really got into it when I decided to write my book. And then it went even further. And then I went and became a public speaker. I love the NTA so much. I'd group led for them several times. So I decided to become an instructor. And yeah, I just like, I couldn't get enough, I guess you could say after, after I finished the program. Oh my gosh. I know so many people feel that way. When you were going through the NTA program, like, did you know that you wanted to like write a book and become a speaker and create a course? Or were you kind of just going into it with the thought of, I want to learn more about nutrition? It was just nutrition because I, you know, I had experimented with Chinese medicine in my early 20s and had done ketogenics, you know, my early 20s, that kind of stuff. So it was something I was always interested in. And, you know, when I was going through the program, and I don't know if you felt this way, I was like, oh my God, I'm the dumb one. You know, there were people there that already knew about nutrients. I had no idea. People are talking about bulletproof coffee. I'm like, what the fuck, you know? And I felt like the dumbest one in the class. And then lo and behold, I've become the most successful one out of my graduating class. So it's just, I don't know. I don't know. It's a a transformative process. I think that's a really inspiring story because a lot of times I think that education is not really a determining factor in like how successful you're going to be. It's more of like, do you have the gumption to like keep trying and keep doing and keep testing? And it sounds like that's kind of what you did. You've just been a student of life almost of like trying new things. So after you graduated, you said you worked in a keto clinic. Was that sort of the first business step that you took or were you, were you doing anything else to build like your website or your own business at that point? 
At the time, I wasn't because I was so focused on continuing education and really learning what the aspect of the clinic was. I, I felt very grateful and honored to have just finished the program and to have been hired by this clinic. And they had really intense continuing education that I had to do. So I was very focused at the time. You know, we went through NLP training, which is neurolingual processing. It's a form of psychology. We went through additional supplement and nutrient training. We went through kind of uh, the psychology of eating. I went through all of these really rigorous and crazy training, became a hormone specialist and all of these different things. And so I was really kind of like hyper-focused on continuing the learning because I realized I was good at it. You know, it was one of those things that kind of almost woke up inside of me. And then after about a year, I realized that the environment that I was in was toxic, which is really funny because I grew up in Orange County. And so weight loss was just always part of the conversation. And so that's kind of when I woke up and realized, oh, wait a second, I've been living a lie my entire life and maybe I need to explore this a little bit further. So I started to kind of, I caught the bug, you know, I, uh, Jimmy Moore had me on my very first podcast interview. And this is a really long time ago when he was doing live and love you to low carb, um, with friends. And that was my first kind of taste into, wow. Okay. There's a whole nother world out there. Oh my gosh. I used to listen to that podcast. So does he do something different now? Does he not do the same type of content? He took a huge break and is now going to come back in March to talk about trauma. So he wow. is going to be going deep into the psyche of weight loss and how it all kind of ties together. Okay. That's really interesting. And for anybody who's not familiar with him, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but he had a huge podcast that was just mainly focused around like low carb, right? Mm -hmm. Eating low carb. So that's yeah. very interesting. So then that is kind of when you... I'm assuming transition to more of the body positive side of things. And then was that sort of the catalyst to start writing your book? Yeah, it was one of those things that like I had had my first photo shoot and I was like, dang, that's fun. And then I created my first website and then I was just like, okay, how am I going to be able to get myself out there? Because I started Instagram early. I started, you know, six years ago in 2013 or Oh my gosh, it's 2020 now. So almost <laughs> seven years ago in the winter of 2013, I started Instagram and I didn't know how to use it. I look back at my posts from then and I was like, oh my God, I should have known better. My hashtags were terrible. My posts were terrible. And so, you know, I really tried and I was like, how come I'm not reaching anyone? And so I really focused on my physical community. So I taught a ton of workshops. I taught free classes at the health food stores. I went to different, you know, wellness centers, that kind of stuff. I ended up, when I went into private practice, I started working in a wellness center. So then I had that collective environment of referral. And so that really worked. But then I was like, no, the book is something that I'm going to be able to reach the masses. So that's was something that was really important to me because you can only do so many one-on-ones and still no one knows who you are and your message. It's not that your message isn't important. It's just not reaching a wider platform. So then I decided to do that, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Okay. So I want to get all into what that is like, because I have not ever yet had anybody on the podcast, I don't think anyways, that has written a book. And I do like what you said, and we're going to talk about your course in a little bit too, but that's such a good point about, it's not that one-on-ones aren't important, but I think when you have a really big vision for your business and like you want to build an empire, which a lot of people that are listening to this do, it's really hard to gain that traction if you're still trading time for dollars. So it's not saying that you shouldn't do that if you want to, but it is harder to kind of scale. Do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the one-on-one -on -one process was vital for me to actually understand how the body works. Mm -hmm. So I don't regret that at all whatsoever. And I think that the people that are focusing on one-on-ones, that's the best way you can actually understand biodiversity. You know, I think the thing is we learn about bioindividuality at the NTA. And when you work one-on-one, -on -one, you realize that that is complete truth. You can't just be out there recommending one thing, unless you niche, and then that's what you recommend, but you have to understand the nuances that come with it. So for me, I'm, and you talk about energy a lot on your podcast and human design and that kind of stuff. So I'm a generator, 
but I am the right angle cross of the vessel of love and I'm a very deep empath. So me being one-on-one in a physical space with someone, it's just physically exhausting. I'm a clairsentient empath, so I can easily take on the energy of another human being. So I knew at that point too, that my life doing one-on-ones wasn't going to last forever. So the book was my way to be able to increase my platform, get into the space where I can teach in a larger space. But what I didn't realize is that writing a book is one of the hardest things you will ever do because I didn't write a cookbook. I wrote a self-help book and that shit, it will wreck your life and then it will rebuild you back up all over again. I can only imagine. So, well, I have a question going back to the one-on-ones. Did doing that kind of help you figure out or get the idea to then write a self-help book? Like, were you having a lot of clients that were having similar problems or was this based solely on like your own self-experience? It was 80% of my client base was having this continuous issue because only 20% of my clients were type A personality. You know, the more the upholders, the people that are capable of being able to really take the information, do exactly what you say, and then have healing within six weeks. Those were my clients that I was like, oh my God, okay, I know I'm good at this because clearly, you know, you had this severe issue six weeks ago and now you're fine. But then the other 80% of my clients made me second guess myself every day. I was like, what am I doing wrong? And I realized they all had the same problem. It wasn't about the food. It wasn't about what the food could do for them. It was the relationship that they had with food and their body. And I was like, I need to be able to hold space for these people and tell them that the narrative that they've created or the not that they created, the environment they grew up in and how they've been projected on and how they were treated in certain situations and shame and guilt and everything that comes with body image and the healing process, I really needed to be able to have a space where I could compartmentalize it and then let them go on their own journey. Oh my gosh. Well, I just feel like your book and the premise of your book And the people that you're helping is just an area that I think is so needed, especially in the world of like health and nutrition. So will you just give kind of a quick synopsis of what your book is about? Yeah. So the book is titled Happy Weight and it more or less is, it's a manifesto. It's some parts a memoir, but then mostly parts talking about the experience and what it really takes in order to find yourself again so that you can heal the parts emotionally and psychologically that need to be healed before you can go on a journey to finding food healing. Because the reality is that most of us are hyper-focused on our physiological like outward flaws. We're thinking about body tissue in mass. We're thinking about cellulite. We're thinking, you know, we're always thinking about these different kind of beauty modifications that we can make. And it's fine if you want to, that's, you know, the whole body neutrality movement is like, if you want to change something, that's fine. But if your self-hatred is blocking you from your healing, whether you have chronic illness or inflammation, or you just have a really dangerous relationship with your body and food, it's kind of this anthology to bring you to a place where you can start to unpack and deconstruct your current narrative, and then kind of like really process everything that's brought you to that point to start to see yourself differently and and try to love yourself through all of these different things. And the hard part is, is my book is not easy to read. Everyone thinks, oh, happy weight. This is just going to be about loving myself. But I've had people tell me I got through a chapter. I needed to put it down for six months and then I could pick it back up again. Because what it does is it really makes you do the work. But once you do the work, and this is why I have five stars on Amazon, because it really is one of those things that brings you back to yourself. And it's not about me or my words or my life. It's because it's structured in a way that helps you to find that definition of love when you're on your journey. Oh my gosh. Can you give an example of somebody, because I'm sure you've probably along your journey met a lot of people that would maybe benefit from your book, but like, what's an example of somebody that is in the nutrition world and has tried all the different diets and can't seem to find the healing that they're looking for? 
can you like give an example of this person? Like maybe somebody thinks that somebody listening to this maybe is trying to jump on like the next diet or the next diet and nothing has worked. But really, like you're saying, the answer is going within and unpacking all of your trauma or relationship to your body or the environment that you grew up in. Absolutely. And it's kind of like what you said, they're trying to go on these diets to find out what works. What are you trying to make work here? Like, what is your end goal? And I think that's the reality right there is people are like, I just want to lose weight. And it's like, but but why? Do you even know why? Do you know why you want to lose weight? Do you know why you're obsessed with a number on the scale? Do you get on the scale every day? Do you wake up in the morning and if you don't see a number you like or you put your pants on and you don't like the way they fit, does it ruin your entire day? Are you allowing your body image to affect your quality of life? That's exactly who the book is for. Because if you're the type of person that can't leave the house without makeup on, you can't leave the house unless you're done up, you feel like it's affecting your relationships if you don't feel good inside your body it's for you because the reality is, is you should be able to walk out of the house in your pajamas and really not give a fuck because your, your definition of self should be that you know you're worthy no matter what you're wearing or who you are. And so that's kind of like my perpetual message in the wellness space in general. I love that so much. I love your example of like, you should be able to go out and just not give a fuck. That's definitely the point I'm at right now. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Anybody who watches my Instagram stories know that some days I do not give a fuck. But anyways, anybody who's listening to that, and maybe they are struggling right now and they're thinking like, oh my gosh, that's me. Do you have any kind of actionable things that people could start trying to do? Yeah. I would say number one, if you're scale obsessed, you've got to get rid of the scale. You can't put it in a room because you're going to bring it back out again. You just, you literally have to get rid of your scale. If you have clothes in your closet that don't fit you anymore and you say like, oh, one day I'm going to fit back in them again, you need to get rid of them. They need to go away. You need to wear the clothes that fit you and you need to live in the life that you're in right now. And another way is keeping track of the negative things you say about yourself And keeping track of the negative things you say about other people or to people that really are a reflection of how you feel about yourself. So those are kind of the first three things to really kind of start to think about and then just really go outside of yourself and look at how you react and kind of see if there are any changes that are made. The unfortunate thing is that this isn't, you know, something that can happen in 30 days. You know, there's always those like lose weight in 21 days. But the reality is, is the relationship you've had with your body has gone on for however long you've been alive. And so it's going to take some time to kind of reset that. I love your third tip. I think that's something that I've thought about a lot because I think when you're trying to make those changes and improve your life and feel better about yourself, sometimes it's really hard to do with yourself first. So thinking about the judgments or the thoughts that you have about other people and starting there can sometimes be easier. So if you're really judgmental of other people's weight or other people's appearance, for example, like trying to be a little bit more loving or not judgmental about them first, I think sometimes that can be an easier step, like you mentioned. Absolutely. Well, because it's psychological projection. Mm -hmm. Fat phobia, just like homophobia, is an internal issue with, you know, you actually feel that way about yourself. You hate yourself or you hate your sexuality. It's the same thing. So if you're a fat phobic person, it's because you hate your own body. And so it's really about trying to understand how you feel about yourself so that you're not projecting that negativity onto other people. Absolutely. Hey, my name is Jessica Ash, and I'm a past Online Course Academy student. My first online course was able to bring me in 30K, and I had over 150 students sign up. And ever since then, it's been making me passive income and allowing me more freedom than ever. After doing OCA, I was a full-time entrepreneur just two months later, and I have Definitely. I've definitely made over six figures this last year, which has been amazing. I am in the midst of my second launch right now. It's an open close launch and in total revenue, I'm a little over 5,000 so far. As soon as I put the pre-sale out there, I was like flooded with discovery calls. That feeling of being out doing something fun and getting that like PayPal notification. So I enrolled in Online Course Academy last year and had my first launch in April. 
and brought in $3,000 with my first launch, which was amazing. I'm not in the health or nutrition field. And so I was able to make so much of the information that you taught me work for my subscription service where I don't work with people directly. And then also where I do work with people one-on-one. -on -one. This was like such a great tool. It helped me get over my fear of putting myself out there and selling to my audience. And, and you know, each time I get a sale, it kind of like reinforces, yes, you can do this and you can be successful with this and people need what you're selling. I totally think that it's worth the investment. I mean, I've already more than made my investment in the course back. I have literally, it gave me like a jump start. My email list has doubled. I've gained over 50 new followers on Instagram and growing. I've had three to four consecutive weeks of discovery calls and people signing up to my programs just by implementing like the small amount of things that I've already absorbed. Online Course Academy completely changed my business and it's honestly the best investment that I've done in my business ever. That amount of revenue is taking pressure off from seeing private clients. Um, this past year, I hiked the Continental Divide Trail, which goes from Canada to Mexico. And having that extra income from the course allowed me to take four months off to do that backpacking trip. One of the things that I love so much as well is being able to have the Facebook community. I've connected with other women in that group and we've found little like accountability buddies based on how we thrive in our business. I've had a revenue of $39,000 in about 10 months. And it's amazing. Everything is coming from online and I continue to go deeper and deeper into it, making new courses, making new bundles. And the nice part is once you're enrolled in the course, you can go back and check how to do everything because you stay enrolled. I highly, highly, highly recommend Online Course Academy. It has completely changed my life. And now all of my money, all of my like salary, which is important, all comes from online courses. And then I have some side jobs that I do on the side just for like social interaction and anything like that. But my main income is all from online courses thanks to Amy. I am so thrilled to announce that Online Course Academy is now enrolling. Online Course Academy is the step-by-step -step guide for creating, launching, and selling your own profitable online course while simultaneously growing an audience who's ready to click buy now. But remember that enrollment is only open for this course a few times per year and the doors are closing soon. So be sure to head over to rebelnutrition.com slash course VIP list to get all of the details and sign up before enrollment ends. Again, that is rebelnutrition.com slash course VIP list. I can't wait to see you in lesson one. Okay, well, I love this discussion so far, but I do want to transition a little bit because I know a lot of the people who listen to this are starting their own businesses. And so I would love to hear a little bit about what it was like for you, not only creating this book for you emotionally, because it sounds like it's a pretty deep book, like what that process was like, but then also what the process of marketing it and publishing it and getting it sold was like. So maybe start with the how it was emotionally, and then we'll go from there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the idea of just creating something is emotional in itself because the moment that you tell someone or that you speak it into existence, you almost feel an immediate pressure because you're like, oh, I just said I was going to do this thing and now I really have to commit to it. But that was important for me to just start was that I told a few people I was going to write a book. A couple people were kind of rude about it, but that was projective language. It was because of a jealousy that they felt that they needed to do it, or maybe it brought up feelings of maybe it was something they wanted to do. But the people that were supportive, my husband and my father were the most supportive. My dad just right out the bat was like, this is the greatest idea ever. I'm so excited for you. And my husband was kind of like, he's more or less like my drill sergeant. He's like, I know you can do this if you put your mind to it. He's like, but I need to hold you accountable. And so I think that's the thing is that it is strenuous on the relationships you have with people because you're going to fight against it the whole time. Because when you're writing a self-help book, it is going to bring up a lot of emotions for you. So I had to re live, relearn, reprocess everything that I was writing about. So the death of family members I talk about in there that, you know, I relived those moments when I was talking about my childhood and body shame. I relived those moments, you know, everything that 
is in there is deeply personal. And so if you're writing something that's deeply personal, just expect that there's going to be that reverberation of energy and, you know, in kind of like these hidden and trapped emotions. And so through that process, it was, you know, then we got to a point where I told my husband he wasn't even allowed to say anything about my body or compliment it or anything because I really needed a space where I could embody the system in which I was writing about. And there's imposter syndrome. I know everyone who has kind of like been a part of the creative process hears about imposter syndrome and they're like, oh yeah, okay. But it's a real thing. You feel it the whole time. You feel like, who am I? You know, I failed my eighth grade English class and didn't get to go to eighth grade graduation. So who am I to be a person who's going to write a book? I'm not a writer. I didn't go to school for writing or English. You know, I'm going to be shit at this. This is what I'm telling myself the whole time. But the reality is, is I am actually a really good writer. And I didn't know that until I decided to write the book. And so it's just the whole time you're just fighting this uphill battle. You're really just kind of going into the depths of yourself and your shadow work and your ego and everything sounds wrong. And every time, you know, you read an email from somebody about your book, you read it wrong. And it's just, you have this lens of chaos that's happening because it's something new. And that's just a part of the creative process. That's a part of the learning process. When something is new, it's always going to be excruciating and it's going to be difficult. But the reality is, is that you have to have a support system. I had a really good friend who was also writing a book. So we went through the motions together. And then of course, having my dad and my husband there that were just kind of like the whole time, just really, really, really supportive. So that was kind of the the whole gist of the emotions. But the actual writing process is you have to set writing goals for yourself. It took me eight months to complete the manuscript. Um, I had met with editors early on. And then throughout the editing process in the last couple of months, that's when we kind of really cranked it out before I could turn the manuscript in for design. And so you really, really have to be like, this is my end word count. And you have to hold yourself accountable to your goals throughout the time you're writing. So in terms of the writing goals, and you mentioned upholders earlier, which of the four tendencies are you? Oh, I'm the, a rebel. I'm the worst. Oh, really? Yeah. Because uh, I was wondering, I wonder how that works in terms of setting deadlines for yourself if you're a rebel. Because I, I don't know, let me know if you feel the same way. But when I set really strict deadlines for myself, it like shuts off my creativity. And I'm like, oh my God, now I can't do it. I have to leave some level of openness. But it sounds like for you, that kind of helped you get it out. Is that true? The word count was the only thing mm. I could hold accountable to. This is why I had to self-publish. I cannot work with a traditional publisher because I can't have an editor pressuring me. I can't do it. Oh my gosh. I, I would feel the same way. So I also wanted to go back real quick about imposter syndrome because mm -hmm. I think so many people in my audience struggle with this. And this is probably one of the top concerns that I get from people who are starting their business. So besides having you know, a supportive friend, you said you had somebody you worked on it at the same time with and a supportive husband. But other than that, like, do you have any other tips for kind of busting through imposter syndrome? Mm. You know, honestly, the thing that's worked for me is being able to connect to the things that make me feel most myself. And so I, I know I'm not the only one that does this, so I'm not a total weirdo, <laughs> but like, I'm really strong female just people in life and in general, historical figures or current people that are living, they really just, they make my life feel connected and, and worth it. So I, and I'm a big YouTube person. So I would go on YouTube and I would just watch really powerful videos that made me feel like I could do it. And I would allow myself to cry and not bathe for the day if I didn't want to, and just like allowed myself to exist and to be. And that really made me feel truly like getting back into myself and into my soul to be able to break through that. Because if you lose your sense of self, if you lose your connectivity to your identity, it's going to be really hard to work through imposter syndrome because imposter syndrome is a destroyer of confidence. So you really have to be able to find that confident baseline of like, who am I? Because if I didn't do that, then my book would have been shit because one of the editors that I had was like a severe misogynist. And he was 
so gross and so rude. And after his last notes, we never worked together after that on the book. I ended up diverting to my other editor and I ended up pushing through and not listening to his notes. And I ended up writing the best chapter in the book. But if I didn't have that baseline of confidence, I would have allowed him to completely derail my work. Mm, That's such a good point. And I totally agree with you. I think sometimes imposter syndrome can really start to flare when you are in this space of trying to too closely follow what somebody else has done before you or what somebody else that you look up to as being successful has done and trying to be like them because that's the way that they were successful. I mean, obviously there are people to look up to and take information from, but really the single most powerful thing that anybody who's listening to this has in their business is the thing that makes them unique. So I think the more that you can tune back into that, that is the thing that is going to set you apart from every single other person. And if you're really feeling that imposter syndrome, you know, instead of maybe seeking out another mentor or another coach or whatever, maybe take a little bit of time to like tune into what makes you you a little bit more and and letting that out and sharing that a little bit more. Absolutely. The answers are always within. Mm-hmm. Always. And that's why I'm grateful for being a rebel is because I hate the rules and the rules don't apply because you should be yourself. You should be authentic. You should be original in your own way. Of course, originality doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's 2020, but just be your own version, you know, of original. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. This is just like my favorite conversation <laughs> about originality. I mean, and I totally agree. Yeah. Like, I mean, nothing is truly original anymore, but what is original is you. Like all of the culmination of everything about you and your traits, like that is what's different. Um, So in terms of then getting the book out to people, what was that process like? Did you already have an audience at that point or how did you get the book out to people? Well, at the time I had no Instagram following. Oh, okay. I had published three years ago. And so my Instagram following came after the public speaking and after all the things that I did. So I had worked adjacent to the food industry. I had done a lot of field marketing that was in food. And so I knew a lot about guerrilla marketing. So that was my number one to be able to get the book out was through guerrilla marketing. For those of you who don't know what guerrilla marketing is, it's grassroots human to human interaction. So it's a really building on your relationships with other people. I know Amy talks about that a lot because it's like building your own community and all of those things. And so I really just started with a booth at the NTA conference and then everything kind of waterfalled from there. I've seen so many people in the NTA community posting about and sharing your book. So I think that's something it's uh, maybe undervalued a little bit in like the online space, but having that in-person connection or even just going to see somebody speak, you almost get this connection with them that transfers into the online space, you know, for years and years to come. Maybe you don't see them all the time in person, but you always will have, I think, a stronger connection if you have previously met that person or seen them speak or, you know, had a chance to meet them in person. So do you, you agree with that? Well, yeah. So I have a heretic line in my human design. So I'm actually, if people don't meet me in person, I'm like a walking trigger for people. They don't actually see me for who I really am because the heretic line actually opens up a lot of a reflection of their insecurity. So there's a lot of people actually that don't like me because they don't actually know me because there's some, there's a reflection or reverberation of their insecurity that happens. But the people that meet me in person end up having these very deep, thoughtful, emotional connections. And so it's so funny to say that I'm, I'm better in person than I am sometimes on stage because I think people sometimes get the wrong thing based on their own emotional bias. Oh, that's so true. What's your profile in human design? I am a three five. Oh, okay. That's what my husband is too. I was wondering if you were the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Martyr <laughs> heretic all the way. <laughs> so good. Okay. Um, I'll just link to my free human design course in the show notes for this. If you guys are like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So after the book, at what point did you decide then to create, and I don't even know, would you consider your Wellness Academy a course? Or I, I mean, it kind of seems like more of a membership site, but it's on a course platform. I don't know. How would you describe it? Yeah. So I guess to pack up a little bit, this is a perfect time to talk about 
<laughs> what I had said in terms of when I bought your program. So, so for those of you listening, I am a student of Amy's online course Academy. And what happened was it actually took me a year before I could actually come up with the concept of my new site because I tried to create a program based on my book mm. and realized that I didn't want to do that. And so it's really funny because initially I had created a course. I had everything written out. I had done interviews for additional video content. I had done everything. And literally before I like, I even started the buzz because at this point I had a larger Instagram following and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this all according to Amy's formula and calculation and everything's going to go great. And I just froze up. I didn't want to do it. I had realized I didn't want to pigeonhole myself into being the body positive expert anymore. And it took me a few months to kind of go through some more ego work, some more shadow work to try and find out what it was I was supposed to be doing. And I've just been a part of education for so long and diversity work has become really important to me in the last few years. So that's when I decided to create your wellness academy or YOWA as I like to call it because I wanted to have a collective education site. So it is, it's a membership site. Yeah. It looks amazing, by the way. It looks like you have Thank a bunch you. of bundled courses from other instructors, but then you also do live webinars and it's basically like uh, beginner wellness education courses. Is that correct? Well, it was going to be beginner wellness, but then I realized I wanted to reach a wider audience. So at the end of this year, we'll have over 200 courses and then our trajectory is to eventually have a thousand courses and eventually kind of like turn each individual practitioner into having kind of their own like TV channels because we're going to do app development eventually as well. So it's, it has a huge five-year plan, but right now is really digestible courses. We have 40 courses out right now that are very kind of like bite-sized. They're really easy. The courses are no longer than 10 to 15 minutes. Each video is no longer than two to five minutes, but everything is practitioner-based. Resources are shared, scripts are on there, and, and kind of like all the hyperlinks to the different instructors that are contributing content. So when you were thinking of then creating this course, you mentioned that you did have some limiting beliefs around then creating a course after coming from a book. So can you talk about that a little bit as it pertains to creating a course? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the thing about it was I have no problem public speaking. I'm actually quite comfortable on the stage. And I, same with being interviewed. I'm very comfortable being interviewed, whether it's on camera or on a podcast, but there's something deeply intimate and polarizing that happens when you record yourself. And it, it's not even like that on Instagram. Instagram, I'm fine on Instagram, but something about being in the privacy of my own home and having to record myself and then edit those videos that was like shocking to my core. It was really hard at first for me to be able to do it. Oh my gosh, you are so right. And I think so many people feel this and it's something that kind of steers so many people away from either getting on video like Instagram stories, but I think you're totally right. When you're recording course videos or something like that and listening to your voice back, it's like all of your judgments about yourself come up and you're, I don't know if you felt this way too, but I know from my personal experience when I still was editing my own videos and it was, it's painful to listen to and like, you have to get really almost intimate with yourself and overcome all of these beliefs about what you sound like and, you know, the weird things that you do when you're speaking or whatever. hundred <laughs> percent. It's so painful because I'm a very physically animated person. So when I talk, my hands go everywhere. My neck gets really tight and, you know, I kind of like do all of these different things. And so it was really hard for me. And of course, like when you're that type of person, when you're creative, when you're an empath and you feel that way, it actually becomes exhausting. So I felt physically exhausted by it. I felt emotionally exhausted by it. I got a little depressed. It was really hard for me to fight through. But then once I got kind of used to it, now it's like nothing. I can bang out a video in one take. I can edit it that day and have it uploaded in minutes. And so I think it's just really about fighting through the process. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, do you think it's just a matter of 
continuing to do it until it gets easier. I think, I mean, that was true for me because I know how painful it was, but really the only thing that made it better was to keep doing it. Yeah. I think that's just life in general, Mm -hmm. right? You know, it's like, I've never had kids, but a lot of my friends are having children right now. And the first kid, it's really funny to watch them because they're just like, they're scared and everything's new and they feel like they're messing everything up and they make you Purell everything. And then by the second kid, they're like, whatever, the kid's fine. He's sleeping in the bassinet. I don't care. You know, it's just like you have to rip off the bandaid, feel the pain and just go through it. And then it's easier the next time. Absolutely. And you also said too, that you went from concept of this what is it? Yoa is what you called it. Your wellness mm-hmm. Academy. Yeah. You went from concept to launch in only 90 days. So can you break down a little bit how you did that so quickly? Yeah. So, I mean, this is a thing is that whoever's listening, don't take it wrong that I say I'm a high level creative. I'm just one of those people that I'm a generator. I have a lot of energy and I need to get it out. And so for me to be able to create something in 90 days, it's not hard if you know what your end goal is. And so what I needed to do was to contract a couple of people to help me write scripts. I needed to set up the Teachable account. I needed to work on my logo, you know, get the trademarking and all of those things. If you have a schedule of what you need to do every day and you treat it like a nine to five, you can make anything happen in 90 days. And so that was the reality of it. I set up all of the software and the optimization tools that I needed. We were on Trello, you know, uploading all the scripts. We were on Slack communicating all day long. We were using all of the tools necessary to optimize our time to be able to get to that launch date because the energy on my birthday is always really strong. It's the pagan Sabbath of the fall. And so it just feels like it's just all of this really amazing culmination energy. And so I was like, I need to launch on my birthday. It just really needs to happen. And it did. And it was just like, it was, it had such a good receipt. I was really excited about it. And just a quick little aside here too, is that online course Academy does provide like a 90 day. This is what you should be doing every day to get to your goal or your launch date. So just had to throw that in there. If anyone's thinking about joining 90 days, I think in my experience after now having made quite a few courses is actually a pretty reasonable time frame. I would say, would you agree? Like, I know you said you have a lot of energy, but still with the way that you did it, did you feel like it was pretty streamlined or did you feel like you were kind of all over the place? No, it felt really streamlined. I think anybody can launch a program in 90 days. You just, you have to get over the emotional aspect and just execute. Like I said, if you, if you follow the formulation that you have in the online course Academy and you use all the tools, optimization tools, and you treat it like a nine to five, you'll still be able to have boundaries and non-negotiables and you'll be able to have balance and quality of life. I was still able to go to Asia for two weeks and perform a wedding ceremony and run a mentorship and teach a class at the same time. So, you know, I was still able to do all the crazy things that I do while being able to make this happen. I love your point too, about treating it like a nine to five. Like I I try and rephrase this for people who really prioritize their nine to five job. And it's like, you have to give your own business that same sort of respect if you want it to become your full-time business. So I think that's a really, really good point. Um, And then can you talk a little bit about for the course side of things, then how you went about marketing that? Was it to the same people that, you know, had already bought your book or because it was a different topic, did you have a different marketing strategy? Yeah. So the marketing itself is a little bit harder because when you're a membership site, and then of course, when you're an e-learning membership site, there's going to be a completely different demographic. And so I did all the things that I knew how to do at that point. But the reality was, is that I don't have the course content right now that reached my audience because the majority of my audience are people that have already done the wellness rigmarole. They've already done a lot of the work. Like, I mean, I've I've helped to usher people through all of these different aspects of self-help and healing. And they're pretty much like masters of their own self-healing at this point. So it wasn't necessarily super exciting for them because the content that I initially released was just basic. But the content that we are currently developing is like next level. We're going to be talking about in-depth protocols that we have all developed over the years 
you know, I just got off a call with one of the practitioners who does an organic skincare line and she's going to be collaborating with an esthetician and talking about botany and plant medicine when it comes to skincare. So that's like just one of the people, but then we have someone who does grief and trauma, you know, related to AIP and we've got a whole 30 coach and we have all of these people that are going to be going into these really in-depth areas that kind of you know, cascade out. So it's not just basic wellness. We're going to be talking about the eight pillars of wellness, which is going to be lifestyle, business, relationships with people, mental health, all of these different things. And so eventually these 200 courses that will be pretty solid by the end of this summer will be able to go with a a harder marketing plan. So I'm kind of just really in the existing on social media, but I'm not, I'm in a soft launch. I'm not going to go for a hard launch until probably August or September. Okay. Are you kind of leveraging sort of the audiences of the other instructors that are coming on to sell it? Or is your, I guess the question I'm thinking probably a lot of my audience will have is how are you actually going to sell it? Like, how are you going to make sure that it fills up? Because I know also you had mentioned in our email exchange before this, that you're on track to make six figures in your first year. So I think it would be really cool to break down just like how you plan on getting it sold. Yeah, absolutely. So it's really easy to do because our membership's only $9 a month and it's $89 for an annual subscription. So I only need a thousand subscribers in order to be able to reach that goal. And so to be able to do that, what I'm going to be doing is kind of leveraging a, a lot of my, um, I have a, you know, a network of friends that are larger influencers on different social media platforms. And so they're beta testing right now, their free month codes to see how that conversion works. But then eventually I'm going to be getting them all to do free month codes so that they can be reaching their massive audience. And then all of the practitioners that are contributing have affiliate codes at a 50% commission, which is huge for affiliates. Most affiliates don't give you 50%, but since they're contributing content, I want to make sure that they feel like they're getting something in return. So across all their platforms, they will be promoting as well. And then I am working in collaboration with an ads agency to be able to not learn how to do it myself, they're going to do it for me because I really want to be a heavy hitter and I want to be wagering big, kind of gambling a little bit. So it's definitely based on the research and based on everything we've been doing. And it does help that my husband has actually worked in the e-learning environment for 17 years. He's an executive director of digital product for a multi-million dollar conglomerate. And so it really helps to be able to have him in my back pocket, really helping me to understand how to market this product. But it doesn't mean that other people can't. It just means that sometimes doing Facebook ads on your own and just leveraging your own community is not going to work for a very, very minimal membership site. If you're launching larger programs that are at a higher dollar amount, it's actually easier to sell, believe it or not. Yeah, I would actually agree with that. I think it's really interesting. And that's kind of why I was interested in your marketing plan is because I don't think I've had another student yet who's done a lower cost type membership site. But what you're doing is really interesting because it's lower cost, yet it's reaching a lot more people through like what you said, leveraging other influencers. I think that's an amazing idea and something that anybody listening to this could very easily implement in their own launch strategy as well, especially if you don't have, you know, a huge budget for ads yet, you could always, you know, work on building relationships that way and and doing a launch like that and giving people affiliate codes. I mean, that's, that's a good way to get other people invested in whatever you're selling. Absolutely. And I think the thing is, is like with all the knowledge I have, I could easily create a very solid program at a higher dollar amount. But for me, because of all of the accessibility and diversity work I've been doing, it felt more aligned with my soul to create something that was affordable for everybody. Well, that is, I think, what is going to make you the most successful is tuning into that and listening to that. So I think that's amazing. Thank you. 
Okay. So we are running out of time. And quickly, before I have you plug all the things, I just wanted to mention too, that you have a podcast, correct? And I love the name of it. Can you tell us about it a little bit before we end? Yes. So I kind of just felt like doing a side project for a little while. And I have a podcast called Vulva Magic. And we really talk about periods, sexuality, spirituality, all of the different things. So if that's a shock factor for you, definitely trigger warning, but we go really deep. I love it. I even when I just heard the name, I was like, subscribe. I need to listen to this. <laughs> um, and then I ask every guest who comes on, but what is something that you are obsessed with lately? Like healthily obsessed with it could be anything, it could be a podcast, it could be a person, it could be a trashy TV show, literally anything. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I just watched a pilot and the series doesn't officially launch until the middle of February, but I watched um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist and found myself like enthralled with all of the feels. It's a new show that's on NBC and it's talking about some pretty heavy stuff, but then they're using song and dance to kind of work through it all. And I found myself like crying uncontrollably through it. So I'm just obsessed with that right now. It's really hard to shock me because I'm a big reader and I watch a lot of shows and I watch a lot of films. And so I really like something that's able to take me to a different place. And that really did the trick. Okay. That is so funny because that is not the type of show that I would normally watch. But what intrigued me was the way that they marketed the show, which was at first they just did this really short, and I don't know if this is the same for everybody or what just what I saw on Hulu, but it was like, at first it was like just this tiny little snippet and you didn't really understand what the show was about. And then a couple weeks later, they came in with like a longer trailer, I guess you could say, that actually did explain it. And at that point I was like, oh, I was already curious what it was about. So that sold me. And then I watched it and I felt the same thing. I'm like not somebody who cries at television shows and I was crying at the end. Oh, same. I was like, what is happening? I'm usually a crier, but I was like crying and I was like, okay, they did a good job. Yeah. I don't know if it was like the music or what, what was going on, but that's so funny that you say that. (laughs) I think it was just poignant because, you know, there's always song and dance shows, you know, for people that are really into chorus lines and they're into Broadway and that kind of stuff. But this was talking about pretty serious life issues And I think for being someone who's experienced a lot of trauma and hardship in my life, like it just made me feel like just seen, you know what I mean? And I think that's the thing is like, sometimes we don't want to escape when we watch TV. Sometimes we actually want to feel something that we've been through too. Mm. Yes, that is such a good point. Okay. So where can everybody connect with you, plug everything, your podcast, your book, your membership site, your website, (laughs) you're everywhere. Yes. So I am trying to be less of an influencer because I really want everything to kind of just be your wellness academy. So if you want to check us out, we are on Instagram at your wellness academy and we are www.yourwellnessacademy.io. If you want to be able to check the subscription out and then my podcast is Volva Magic and my book is Happy Weight. But if you're trying to find my personal Instagram account, you will find it. It's Danielle Delavalle NTP, but I'm no longer there. I might come back in a year because I might be thinking about doing something completely different. So I won't be there, but there are six years of content if you want to check it out. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. Go back through the through the old content. And- yes. <laughs> You'll find a lot of nuggets. I, oh, yeah. I'm naked on there most of the time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Well, thank you again so much for being on the show. This was just, I know my audience is going to love this conversation. And if you guys, if you did love it and you want to share it, it really helps the podcast so much. If you screenshot it, share it on your Instagram stories and then tag both of us so that we can repost it. And yeah, thank you again for being here. Thank you so much, Amy. This was truly fantastic. I'm really grateful. I'm so grateful to have you. <laughs>